is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Charles Feldman from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. And I'm Mike Simpson. The White House is half of all American adults fully vaccinated now. It's uh, great news, but job far from finished. President has set a goal of having 70% with at least one dose by the 4th of July. We'll look into what more can be done to break through a wall of vaccine hesitancy. The pandemic has changed home buying. People are looking for bigger homes, and we will tell you the reason why. CDC out with a different warning. It's not pandemic-related, but they don't want you to hug and kiss chickens. So we'll talk about that. I don't remember ever kissing a chicken. Well, see, you're safe. Congratulations. (laughs) Let's begin with vaccines and the progress made and progress needed. Dr. Erwin Redlener is director of the Pandemic Resource and Response Initiative. He's also a professor of health policy management at Columbia University Medical Center. Uh, Doctor, 50% sounds impressive, but what does it really mean? Well, you know, the more people that get vaccinated, the more likely it is that we can really put a halt to the uh, spread of the virus. And uh, the more light we're seeing at the end of the tunnel, basically. And I think it's just nothing but good news. And, uh, you know, eventually we'll get to, you know, 60, 70%, and we may see the end of uh, the spread of COVID-19 in the U.S. But there's a big caveat, guys, which is that um, as long as the the virus is festering and growing and mutating in places like India, Nepal, South America, we are not really completely out of the woods, and we have to keep that in mind. Yeah, so not just getting us to 60 or 70 percent, but it's getting the world to those numbers. But let's say we get there and it's yeah. a pretty good situation. What does it look like, you know, in practice in this country? Is it, you know, every fall, kind of like we have flu season, you're going to hear about coronavirus outbreaks among those who haven't had their vaccines? Or is it just going to be an ongoing type of thing? People getting COVID if they're not immune through the vaccination or natural immunity? Right. So I think it's going to, who, who knows for sure, but it looks like it'll end up as something that's endemic. In other words, it's going to be a virus that's going to be in our environment and that will probably uh, entail something like uh, a adding the coronavirus to the mix, the cocktail that we get in our annual flu vaccine. So uh, and that's the way it is. And it may be that we'll end up with some situations where Americans and other people around the world will be wearing Mass, uh, you know, basically, you know, in the height of the flu season in uh, December, January and so on. But 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 I think it's not going to go away. There's no way that I see it completely disappearing from uh, our lives, actually. And that makes me always wonder about people who might be listening who, for one reason or another, can't be vaccinated. Right. They've got uh, perhaps medical treatments that that right. uh, get in the way or they have other immune issues. And so they're constantly hearing all this good news about everybody being vaccinated except for them. So, yeah. Like, I, what about me? Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So my question about them is what about therapeutics? I mean, I know we had some advances fairly early on with uh, like things like uh, dexamethasone, but we don't hear much lately about new therapeutics to help people who perhaps can't be vaccinated. Right. And that's a really good point, actually, because, you know, with regular influenza, if you if you're not feeling well, it's flu season, you go in, you get a test, you have you have the flu. uh, Your doctor can prescribe something called Tamiflu, uh, which can pretty much knock out the virus in its tracks if you get it early enough. 
And there actually are several drug companies, including Merck, uh, as far as I know, that are still working on developing that kind of medication as well. And that's going to be a really important addition to our armamentarium in, in terms of what uh, medicine is going to be able to do, because a lot of people will not be able to be vaccinated or the vaccine doesn't work. And that new medication, whenever it's available and they are in the works, uh, will be a really big addition to what we can do. So some states have done it already, obviously. Uh, the CDC made its recommendations for the dropping of the masks. California's waiting till June 15th. But there are still so many people, even vaccinated, fully vaccinated people, who, who view that date and they're scared. They go, oh, my gosh, this, is, this seems so crazy. I've had this on for so long or I'm afraid of breakthrough cases or, you know what, I'm just still scared because it's been a real tough year. Um, how should people think about the dropping of the masks? Is this, you know, we are vaccinated, so this is the reward or do what is yeah, it your comfort the- level? Now, it's a really good question, not to mention the fact that, you know, the CDC can can and will continue to make uh, recommendations. And the last one, which has to do with people who are vaccinated, able to go without masks uh, if they wish. But we, we, we must remember is the states really uh, get to make their actual rules so that California may be doing something different than New York and then Georgia and then Michigan and so on. And uh, so there's several elements here. One is, what is your state recommending or requiring? And second of all, what is your comfort level? No one's ever going to stop people. Well, I I take that back. There are places where they they will try to prohibit mask wearing, which I think is kind of nuts myself. But the fact is that um, if you're fully vaccinated, it's way safer for you now to be able to go in public, especially outside. There may be places like, you know, airports, train stations uh, and medical facilities where you're still going to be required to wear a mask. But this is all about relaxation gradually and the uh, states getting to interpret what the rules are uh, above and beyond the, the actual CDC guidelines. Dr. Erwin Redliner directs the Pandemic Resource and Response Initiative, Professor of Health Policy Management at Columbia. Doctor, thanks. Buying a home has changed since the pandemic. Prices are shooting up, and homes are getting dozens of bids, many selling for well over the asking price. People want bigger places so they can live with more family members. You know, bring in the parents. Rick Sharga, executive vice president at Realty Track here in L.A., to talk to WBBM's Cisco Cotto about the change. It's, it's just like the Waltons, isn't it, Cisco? <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're seeing an increase. Uh, one of the changes the pandemic seems to have left with us uh, is an increase in the number of homeowners who are bringing their elderly parents uh, home to live with them or, or building homes or buying homes uh, that have separate quarters for, for their parents. And, uh, you know, given the, the, the tragedies we saw in nursing homes across the country, uh, New York in particular, uh, the, the COVID virus really showed us that sometimes the, the, the health environments in, in those kind of facilities really was, was very much subpar. So we, we have seen a growth in that, in that part of the, the housing market going from 11% of all households before the pandemic to about 15% today, which is pretty much as high as, as we've seen since that number's been tracked. So are we seeing homes built with multi-generational families in mind? Is this people maybe putting on additions, reworking their current homes? Yeah, the, the National Association of Realtors data is about homes that were purchased or are being built to, to accommodate multi-generations. Um, but, but there's absolutely uh, construction going on as people are adding 
uh, adding to existing homes. Um, there's also, uh, I mean, the, the whole category has increased because we've also seen adult children moving back in with their parents uh, in, in a lot of cases because their, their income was affected by the recession caused by the pandemic. Uh, but, but, yeah, we're seeing both new home construction. We're seeing homes that are sold specifically uh, to accommodate multi-generational families, and we're seeing uh, additions being built. And it does make you wonder if this will just continue uh, with a, an aging society, if this will just be one way that older kids can can go ahead and take care of their parents. Well, the other thing to keep in mind is that we're seeing increased uh, levels of home ownership by certain communities. For example, the Hispanic population and the, the Asian American population are both seeing increases in home ownership rates. And, and both of those, from a, a cultural perspective, uh, do have ties to, to older generations. So, so part of this, I believe, is is a structural shift. I think we're going to continue to see. Uh, higher than than prior levels of, of multi-generational households. Thanks so much. Really interesting. That is Rick Sharga, Executive Vice President at Realty Track. Coming up after this short break, if you're tempted to kiss your chicken, don't. The CDC says people should avoid kissing and snuggling chickens. Now, that seems like a strange warning, but it also seems to be happening, we think. The country is seeing an increase in salmonella cases blamed on backyard chicken coops that got more popular during the uh, pandemic. You know, we've had a problem with messaging, but this one does seem pretty clear. Yeah. You know, leave the chicken alone. (laughs) Yeah, it might be best to just avoid any real contact with chickens. Emily Shoup, poultry extension educator, Penn State University, bird judge, farmer in western Pennsylvania. So, Emily, uh, yeah, don't cuddle the chickens, huh? Absolutely not. Uh, I am a person who raised chickens from the age of three, and I can honestly say that I was warned even at a young age not to cuddle and kiss my chickens. So what happens if, I don't know, you have, you know, like I said, you exchange glances, you like the chicken, you kiss the, oh my God. <laughs> you kiss the chicken. Why did I come back to work today? <laughs> I know, today of all days. No, but what, what happens if you, if you do? What, what's the downside? So, you know, chickens, um, for some folks, can be very cuddly, and they are very affectionate animals. So um, keeping them close to your face or mouth or kissing, cuddling them, uh, you know, treating them like a house pet um, just kind of increases your risk of salmonella. These birds have salmonella living within their digestive tract. They then dust bathe in their own manure most of the time, and that can either aerosolize or deposit bacteria on their feathers, then when you kiss them, you increase your risk of becoming sick. So the appearance of said chicken has nothing to do with the germs on the chicken. It's not like a (laughs) pigeon in the city where you're like, that thing is gross. Uh, It can look fine, but still have salmonella. Right. The birds may not appear visibly sick. They're just carriers. And, um, you know, with everything that's been going on in the last year, we're very familiar with those kind of buzzwords. Uh, But the best way to prevent that is just when you handle your birds, when you pet them or touch them or they're eggs or their meat to make sure you wash your hands afterwards. Can't you give them little masks to wear? <laughs> I wish. I wish it was that easy. <laughs> How much of a, of a thing, as we mentioned, this has been over the last few years, more and more people are doing this, the backyard, you know, chicken coop so you can get some eggs and then it's kind of a fun thing, especially if you got kids. Is this uh, like a growing kind of hobby? And how hard is it to actually get into the right way and then not catch salmonella or regret that now suddenly you have a bunch of chickens in the yard? Yeah, that that chicken regret comes uh, pretty hand in hand. But uh, poultry keeping is the fastest growing animal related hobby in the United States. 
Um, this past year, we saw just an incredible spike in folks getting into backyard poultry. Um, they were going to be home, you know, that whole two weeks to flatten the curve thing. We thought, okay, for two weeks, I can, I can handle this. And then two weeks became 15 months. So folks invested in um, maybe this homesteading lifestyle or back to basics. We've seen this nationwide, but especially there in Southern California. And, and to keep birds, sorry, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> to keep birds safe um, and to keep yourself safe uh, and how to, how to do this properly, uh, just making sure that you're safe around your birds. They're contained. Um, they rarely observe property lines. So making sure that your <laughs> birds are on your property. Don't stop uh, at the they, don't look, yeah. they don't stop at the fence. They don't look both ways before they cross the street. And then making sure that you um, supervise kids around poultry. Um, sometimes birds can be rather aggressive. So it's important to supervise kids and make sure that uh, they're supervised around the other products that birds can produce, like eggs, meat, and uh, manure. And, and in, in case people are, are wondering, uh, how sick can you get if you get salmonella from a chicken? Um, so unfortunately, the symptoms are generally localized to the gastrointestinal tract. So there's some diarrhea, um, fever, dehydration, vomiting, things like that. Um, and there have been, most of these cases we've seen this year have been hospitalizations. Um, so 34 of the 163 cases. And then last year, we actually saw a few deaths um, from oh. salmonella. So oh. it is really important to to monitor your symptoms if you, you think you might be getting sick. So, Emily, I got to ask you, why did the chicken cross the road? I wish I knew, but it's a question <laughs> I get asked all the time. <laughs> Emily Shoup, uh, poultry education uh, extension educator there at Penn State University, market judge and a farmer, Western Pennsylvania. But if the if the chicken crosses the road, whatever you do, don't, don't kiss, kiss it. it. Don't kiss yeah. it. You can egg it on. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> don't kiss it. Kids could soon get to choose between the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Moderna says its COVID-19 vaccine strongly protects children as young as 12. It aims to become the next in line for FDA emergency approval use for kids 12 to 17 years of age. The company studied more than 3,700 12 to 17-year-olds, and there were no COVID-19 diagnosis in kids given two doses of the Moderna vaccine compared with four cases among those given dummy shots. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. You know that thing about uh, that we did before about not kissing a chicken? Mm, yes. Does that apply to, like, fried chicken, too? No. Oh.